0: "'struggling with all his energy "'that he powerfully works within me.'" Chapter two. "'For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you "'and for those at Laodicea, "'and for all who have not seen seen me face to face, "'that their hearts may be encouraged, "'being knit together in love.'" This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning, Westside. It is wonderful to worship with you. And no matter where you're at, what's important is uh, where your Bible is. um, As we are continuing in our series through the book of Colossians. And if you've missed any of those messages, um, you can go to our website at westsidepb.org. And you can find those. Um, We've been studying this New Testament letter that a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul has been writing to Christians living in Colossae. And what we've said is the thrust of the letter is that it, it is all about Jesus. That is the goal of it. Why are we studying this letter? We're studying it because we said that a clear view of Jesus will change your life. And with everything that's going on in the world today, What we need is a clear view of Jesus. And last week we said that in order to follow Jesus faithfully, I need to see Jesus clearly. And we looked at those verses, uh, verses 15 through 23, some of the highest verses about who Jesus is in the New Testament. And, and actually, kid side kids, verses 15 through 19 is sort of your memory passage as we're studying the book of Colossians. We want you to know who Jesus is. So parents, just a heads up. We want you to be reading those, print those out, have those around the house and be studying those verses together. But, but this week, the Apostle Paul sort of shifts tone. And in verse 24, um, going into chapter 2, verse 5, the introduction is sort of over. And what the Apostle Paul begins to do, what we see this week, um, is is he starts talking about his ministry, which, which sort of seems weird, but... But I love the clarity of the Apostle Paul. I mean, this guy was probably like a type A personality, like a left brainer. He's like, boom, 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 this, this, this. When you read his letters, it's just like this, 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 not this, this. Very clear, very logical. But what I appreciate about it is he actually tells us um, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, why he's writing this section of Scripture. Um, Look there in verse 4 of chapter 2, I say this, hey Paul why are you writing this, why are you saying this, well glad you asked, Um, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments for though I'm absent in body, remember we said that he's never met them before, I'm present with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith. Verse 4 is the key there, guys, in the passage. I say this in order that no one may delude you. Um, The word delude there, um, I love what the King James says. The old King Jimmy says, uh, it says to beguile you, right? That's an old English word, to beguile you. It's a huge compound word, and it means this, to impose a deception onto someone. It's only used one other time in the New Testament in James chapter 1, verse 22. Um, what Paul's saying is, I'm writing this and I'm saying these words... Because I don't want someone to come and impose a deception onto you, to deceive you. And what we said is the problem that's going on in the church in Colossae is that some false teachers have crept into the church... And they've said, well, well, Jesus really wasn't God. He was sort of like an emanation from God. And what you need is you need this deep secret knowledge that's not just found in God's word or found in Jesus. It's found in all these other things. And what the Apostle Paul's doing uh, in this passage this week is he's saying, now, I've already told you who Jesus is, but now to separate and distinguish myself from the false teachers. I want you to look at my ministry. And then I want you to look at their ministry. And there's going to be a contrast. Here, here's what he's doing. He's saying, um, I'm, I'm revealing how they're false, basically, by looking at his ministry. And, and as I was reading and sort of studying these verses, just um, this is the way my mind works, okay, right? Like I, I believe I have the spiritual gift of ADD, H-D-D-P-D, whatever that thing, that, you know, that acronym is. And, and when I'm studying, just things come to my mind because I have to learn by going, this is like this. And when I was reading Paul talking about like, hey, this is my ministry and I don't want someone to deceive you. So this is what um, a godly ministry looks like. Uh, I thought about this old TV show back in the 90s when I was a kid. um, And it's called Breaking the Magician's Code. Do you remember this? This is like one of the cheesiest, like if you're a 90s kid, you're just all about this right now. You're like, I feel the spirit today in the sermon, okay? Um, this was a super cheesy TV show where this guy, Creepy Mask, by the way, totally weird, um, where, where this guy revealed all of the magician's secrets, and so, you know, it would start out and, and he would show you this trick, like like a woman getting cut in half or making an elephant disappear or something like that. He would show you the trick. Then he would show you how the trick was done. And, and, and you never know this guy's identity. Like, ooh, he's got the mask and stuff. Apparently, this show caused a lot of controversy, even with very famous magicians by guys like David Copperfield and these type of guys. Um, Actually, the magician did an interview with the Chicago Tribune in March of 1998, and here's what he said. The Tribune said, why are you revealing the secrets of your trade? And the masked magician said, one of the things that's always bothered me with the magician's fraternities... That's a thing. That's really like a thing. Um, The magicians fraternities is that they don't allow new magicians in. It's very difficult to find the way in for anyone trying to become a magician for their profession. One of my goals was just to let whoever wanted to become a part of the art know that they could do it. To me, everyone should have the opportunity to be a part of this. And when I read that, I was like, that's what Paul's doing in these verses. He's saying, no, 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 no. Here's these false teachers, and I'm stepping on the scene right now, and I am revealing all of these um, quote-unquote secrets that they have because they only want to let a few people in. But the gospel's for everybody. That's good news today. The gospel is for everybody everybody. And so he just sort of steps on the scene and says, no, um, here's what a godly ministry looks like. And, and, and there's really some key words in the text that are going to outline our time together. And, and I want you to see them there in your Bible. Verse 24, the Apostle Paul says, um, uh, now I rejoice in my sufferings. That's the first one. They're all S words. Uh, rejoice in my sufferings. And then if you drop down, look at verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, suffering stewardship. And then chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle that I have for you. Do you see it? You could do this. It's right there in the passage. Sufferings, stewardship, and struggle. And the reason why he's writing this, again, is, is to show... What a godly ministry is. Now, I know what you're saying. Jason, godly ministry. Uh, I'm, I'm not a minister. I'm not, I don't, like, so why are these verses um, relevant to me? Well, well, actually, you saying that you're not a minister is actually not true. And I want to show you this. Um, turn in your Bible just, just a few pages over to the left ...to the book of Ephesians, okay? So we're going over, we're using our Bible, we're studying our Bible. This is incredible. Ephesians chapter 4. Just a few pages over in your Bible. Now remember, the Apostle Paul is writing these letters in prison. The book of Ephesians was also carried with the book of Colossians... ...and the book of Philemon. These letters were carried together. So so we're in the same zip code here, okay? Okay? And in Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about the church. And then drop down and look in verse 11. And he gave, he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers. This is what's known as the five-fold ministry. Okay, so, so God has appointed um, certain offices within the church in order for the distribution and the teaching of the gospel. But here's the reason why. Verse 12, why has God done this? To equip the saints, remember we learned about that, that's you, that's me. The saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Do you see that there in verse 11? For the work of the ministry. So do you know what my job description is according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11? Not your opinion, but what the Bible says. My job description is to equip you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. You see, there's a great misnomer in the church that all the ministry is done by the pastoral staff or by the the staff, and, and that is a very new concept and a consumeristic concept. But actually, the scriptures teach that God has equipped people and gifted people in such a way in order to equip the body of Christ with a ministry. And so here's the reality. Every member is a minister. Everybody is. Every member of the body of Christ has a ministry. Because you can go places that I can't go. You have relationships that I don't have, and God has equipped and blessed you to go and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. So, now, we're on it now. Now we know the context, and now we know the application. Paul's saying, this is what a godly ministry looks like, and by the way, every member is a minister, so here's our big idea today that's going to guide us through this passage, and it's this. Do I see these marks of a godly ministry in my own life? That's the question. Listen, this sermon isn't um, for Bill that you know or Susie, like, hey, Bill. Hey, Susie. Love you guys. Um, it's not for somebody else for you to be thinking of. Today, the, the big idea is a guiding question for you to say, do I see these marks of a godly ministry. Remember, Paul's blowing the doors off this. No secrets here, man. Look at the life and the ministry of my life in order to distinguish it from the false teachers. And by the way, every member's a minister. And so we're asking ourselves, do I see these marks in my life? Some of us have been a part of a church for for 20 years, but yet we're not serving, we're not in ministry. Some of us um, have been coming for a while, Yet not involved. It's, um, I was actually talking to somebody who had moved away and went to a different church. And my first question was, what church are you a part of now? What church are you a part of now? And to my heartache, they, they couldn't answer that question. You see, listen... God has has designed the church in such a way that we are members of the body and that we all have a ministry. So what are the marks of a godly ministry? How can I be asking myself, do I see that I am serving and have this ministry? Well, the first thing that I see is this. Mark number one is really awesome. Suffering for the gospel. (laughs) Woo, mark number one, right? Look at what he says there in verse 24. Now I... Rejoice in my sufferings. Wow. For your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of His body. That is, the church of which I became a minister. Probably not the first mark that we would have said. Like, hey, I can't wait to suffer. But, but listen, we have done a great disservice to the Scriptures. The Scriptures talk so much about sufferings, And I would actually say that, that Christianity and the Scriptures offer a right view of sufferings. But man, the Apostle Paul's always talking about what it looks like in his life and having to suffer for the gospel. This is a primary way that he's distinguishing himself from the false teachers. Because the false teachers were living a life of ease... I mean, a life of quote-unquote prosperity. When it got hard, they weren't walking that road, but the Apostle Paul is. And actually, jot this reference down, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. I'm going to read them to you. But the Apostle Paul talks about in, the, in, in these verses how he's had to suffer for the gospel. And he's talking about his ministry again in these verses, but listen to this. Are they servants of Christ? He's talking about false teachers again. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And I am talking like a madman. The the Apostle Paul never brags on himself. He never talks. But but he says, okay, church in Corinth, um, you keep wanting to know the oohs and ahs of everything. Well, here are my credentials. With far greater labors, I've had far greater imprisonments with countless beatings. I thought about this this week countless beatings like I can tell you almost the exact amount of times that I've been hit in the face okay like and how many times do you have to get beat that you're like I I, I don't even know now I don't even know how many times I've been beat countless beatings and often near death five times I received at the hands of Jews the 40 lashes lest one three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned And and that's not like a Joe Rogan, Willie Nelson thing. That's a different, like he was hit with rocks until he almost died. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. And night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil. And hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Wow. The Apostle Paul saying, You want a life of ministry? Do you want to serve Jesus? Do you want to be a part of a church? Do you want to expand the gospel? Well, um, this is what you can look forward to. (laughs) Goodness gracious. But there's a promise that I don't ever see on bumper stickers, coffee mugs, or on the cover of journals. But it's actually a promise that we have. And it's in 2 Timothy and it says this. um, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus... Will be persecuted. Will be persecuted. That's one thing that you can count on. So, right now, when I see Christians um, really, quite frankly, losing their mind and saying, oh no, all of this is going on, this is actually what, what we were promised. But here's what I want to do I want to be a little bit helpful. Because when it comes to suffering, I think there's a, a lot of confusion. And, and right now you might be saying, okay, Jason, I get it. That um, marks of a godly ministry I'm supposed to be serving, one of them is suffering. But what does that look, what does suffering mean? Um, Pastor Ray Ortland has, has three really primary categories that I believe are super helpful when it comes to suffering. Three categories. The first one is this, um, that he calls deserved suffering. Deserved suffering. Um, this means that when we choose to sin, I say this all the time, got this from another pastor, super helpful in my life, choose to sin, choose to suffer, right? That if you make a willful choice to sin or go outside of God's boundaries, you will suffer the consequences from that. I'll never forget one time I was meeting with a guy. um, He had spent the night in jail, third DUI, and he said why is God doing this to me? And, and I said, excuse me? He said, why is God doing this to me? I said, you drunk 14 beers and got behind the, the wheel of your car and you slammed it into an electric pole. God had nothing to do with that. If anything, God spared your life, okay? So, so, so there's an element of, of deserved suffering where there's consequences of sin. Um, the second one is this, innocent suffering. Innocent suffering. And quite frankly, right now, and for the past 12 months, a majority of people have experienced this. This is um, the effects of the brokenness of the world, of creation, disease, a pandemic, COVID. A weather, uh, winter storm and outages and people losing their homes and pipes bursting and people going hungry. And that is, that is the brokenness of the world that all of us will experience a level of, of innocent suffering. That there wasn't a willful choice that brought on consequences, but, but like cancer and those type of things. But then there's a third category, um righteous suffering. And that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Righteous suffering is I am standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm proclaiming God's word and there is consequences and sufferings that come from that. And so what, what are the types of sufferings that come from righteous suffering because that's what he's talking about in these verses. And I believe that some of you listening and watching to this have have experienced this. Well, um, I think they look like this. Righteous suffering looks like um, physical. This is persecution. Now, I don't think many of us experience this in the West, as many as our brothers and sisters in the East. Um, Martyrdom. This is where you're... um, By the way... You are not persecuted if somebody blocks you on Facebook because you're a Christian. Okay, that's not persecution, all right? Um, Persecution is my life is in physical danger because I'm a Christian, okay? There's that level. Maybe some of you have experienced that. But how about the second one? Um, Spiritual suffering. That is demonic oppression, That is, we have an enemy for we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but there is oppression in this world. That any time as a Christian, um, when you start to read your Bible, when you start serving, when you start to, you feel like something's pushing back against you. And the answer, yes, correct, there is. There is an enemy. And many of us experience that level of, of spiritual suffering. Or how about this relational? And I think... Relational suffering is primarily the key. And when you look at Paul, what he said there in 2 Corinthians, it wasn't just um, physical suffering, but all the people left him. And I believe many of you experience relational sufferings for being a Christian when it comes to the relationship with maybe your dad, maybe your mom, maybe like, you know, at Christmas time when everybody's like nine drinks in after presents and you and your wife or you and your husband and your kids are like, okay guys, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're heading out and everybody else says, and oh man, you gotta leave, right? Listen, there's an angst there with that because what you're saying is I live a certain way in light of what Jesus has done for me and, and I suffer in these relationships of only being surface level Because of the gospel. Or have you ever had to have the conversation over a cup of coffee with a dear friend? And you had tears in your eyes? And you said, I love you enough to risk this relationship. But the affair that you're having or the sin that is in your life can't go on anymore. And then they say, well, if you're going to be that way. and then Listen, that's a level of suffering in the gospel. We need to talk about these things. Or I thought about this. How about financial suffering? Many of you are business owners listening to this. And when you put the bid in on the job, you did it right. You didn't under or over and and try to do this because you had this secret information. And it's been hard over these past months because you're not doing this and cutting corners. And on your taxes, you actually claimed it. But then you see this guy over here, this girl in this business. And listen, there is a level that we will suffer when it comes to serving the church of Jesus Christ and serving Jesus. But do you know what I was so convicted about this week? When I look at the amount of suffering in the New Testament and over the history of the church... And actually what Paul says that I'm in ministry and I'm suffering for the gospel. I thought, I thought how little we actually suffer. I mean, honestly, let's, well, here's a question. Um, When have I ever suffered for the gospel? When have I ever actually suffered for the gospel? Be honest and answer that. Has it been relational? Has it been financial? And listen to me, if you can't answer that question, if you can't answer that question, that's concerning. That's concerning. Because what Paul says is is that if you're in this thing, and if you're serving, and if you're doing this, there's a level of suffering that's going to happen. So, do I see these marks in my life? Every member is a minister, And these are the distinguishing marks of a godly ministry. The first one is this, suffering for the gospel. The second one is this, um, stewarding God's word. Stewarding God's word. We're just continuing in the passage. Look at verse um, 25, what he says here. By the way, going back... He says that I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction. A lot of people get confused and they're like, well, I guess what Jesus did on the cross, um, I guess that wasn't enough and I guess that we actually have to do this in order to become more godly wrong. Um, what Jesus said on the cross was it is finished. And so what Paul is actually saying is, is that the body of Christ The body of Christ is like Jesus' physical body, and we will suffer for that sake. But the second mark is stewarding God's word, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I love what he says there. The the word for steward... um, Uh, The King James says a dispensation, according to the dispensation from God. The word actually translates and means a manager or an overseer. This is great. Man, this will preach, right? The Apostle Paul says, the ministry that God has given me, um, and we'll see, is to make the word of God fully known. I've been given this ministry, but I've been given this ministry not as an owner, but as a steward, as a manager. Okay, so illustration, right? Um, Let's say you're renting your home. And one day um, you come home and you're like, you know what, that wall that separates the kitchen and the living room, I don't like that wall. And so I am going to get on uh, Pinterest and HGTV, and I'm going to blow that wall out, right? And I'm going to call up my landlord and go, hey, man, um, today I just wasn't feeling that wall. And so I blew it out. And how's that going to go? Not well, not well. You'll probably end up on Judge Judy or something like that, right? Why? Because you don't own the home. You can't do that. You're, you're a man. You're a steward. You're a tenant, And listen, the Apostle Paul says, um, that's actually how I am with with God's word. He says, the ministry is the word of God. And I'm not an owner. I'm a steward of God. I'm a manager of God's word. Um, I'll never forget uh, a few nights ago. uh, We were at the house maybe a few weeks ago. And um, Andy Grace, our second born. Is, has been learning to read this year in school. and I'm so thankful for Popper Bluff School Systems, and it's so fun watching your kids read. I'm a lover of books. I love reading. I think it's so important, and watching her understand words and read, and one of the things that we're doing to help her read is we're, we're reading the Bible at home, and so and so we've got a, you know, a translation that's a little bit easier for her to read, and so she's reading, and um one night she was reading, and there were some words in the passage, man. You know, it was, it was kind of tough. And so Andy was reading, and, and it just, it was tough. And she said, um, I'm going to go to a different part. I don't like this part. There's a lot of words here, right? And she went on and, and found another part and kept reading. And when that happened, I just felt like the Lord slide into my DMs and say, um, how often do you do that, Jason? You know, you're reading and, oh man, I love the Psalms and um, I love the Sermon on the Mount and I love, um, but man, this part, uh, this part's tough. I want to go to a different part. I want to go to a different part, right? You see, Paul says that that we are under the word of God. Um, Here's the sentence. We are God's messengers, not God's editors. Okay? And listen. In 2021, you will experience suffering for stewarding God's Word. It will happen. And the Apostle Paul says, we must know that we are messengers. We are not editors of God's Word. And he goes on to say, to make the Word of God fully known. Well, how do we make the Word of God fully known? What does that mean? Well, look at verse 26 the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints to them god has chose to make known how great among the gentiles are the riches of the glory of the mystery i mean he's like building up suspense right it's like paul what's the mystery what's the mystery he's like the mystery hidden for ages generations now revealed to the gentile the glory of the mystery paul 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 what's the mystery Christ in you, the hope of glory. Wow, that's incredible. Um, What does he mean, the mystery hidden for all ages? The word that Paul uses there for mystery, again, remember the context of the passage. He's revealing all of these false teachers' secrets, and they were all about mystery. They were all about, ooh, man, what you need? Nah, man, it's not. It's not all in God's word, man. What you need is you need to know some of this stuff. And over here, this Dan Brown, man, the Da Vinci Code, and what you need to do is, um, did you see the the code and ooh the mystery? And Paul goes, no. Nah. He uses a word for literally like the Old Testament. He says, everything that was written in the past has now been revealed in Jesus Christ. And I love um, what one of my seminary professors said when I was in seminary for a time. He explained it very succinctly. He said this, the Old Testament is the New Testament contained. Okay? So what, what's the Old Testament, man? And what's the deal about the goats? And all, I don't understand all of this. The Old Testament is all about promise. But the Old Testament has the New Testament in it. It's just contained. And then the New Testament is the Old Testament explained. That's the difference. The the New Testament comes along and it's been fulfilled in Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul says the mystery that was hidden for all ages and generations has now been revealed to his saints. Do you know what that means for us? That means that this is a bold statement. Okay, so type something in the comments and maybe put the clap emojis or praise hands or something like that. But listen, that means that what Moses, Noah, Daniel And David were promised and did not see we now know and know more fully than they did that's a bold thing and Paul says this was hidden but now through the stewarding of God's word he has revealed these promises and the promise is Christ in you the hope of glory Like, think about this. Um, Moses, these guys, like the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, God in the flesh, in Jesus Christ. What we have in the New Testament is so profound. And it's Christ in you. What does that mean? I love what the ESV study Bible said about this. God himself in the person of Christ will be directly Impersonally present in the lives of his people, and his presence assures them of a future life with him when he returns. Man, that's good news that you have all of God in all of Christ in all of you. That's the good, that's the hope that we have the promise, the presence, and The power that we have. And the Apostle Paul says the ministry of this word is him we proclaim. We're in verse 28 now. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He says the way that we do this is is that we proclaim the word of God. He uses a very strong word there. Um, to, to herald the Word of God, but we also warn and we also teach but all of these words are used for the word of God going out, going out. That's what's happening right now. Right now, I have my Bible open and you have your Bible open. You have your Bible open. If you're watching this on your phone right now, you've got a contradiction. You're like, well, I usually have my Bible uh, on my phone. That's because it's a fake Bible. It's, no, I'm just kidding. Okay, right. That's what's happening now is, is my Bible's open and the word of God is, is, is going out right now. And that's how this mystery is told. But so much of what happens in the church, and what we think is not the Word of God going out, but on the other end of this is is just receiving the Word of God. And listen, there's an element of that. Yes, we have to receive God's Word, but Paul says a real ministry, a person who's maturing in Christ, well, here's the sentence. We are not only receivers of God's Word, but we're also distributors of God's Word. That, listen, you're responsible not just for receiving this. Like right now, I'm just going to, let, let's get real awkward, okay, right now. What are you going to do with this after the sermon? Like some of you right now are listening to this and taking notes down. What are you going to do with those notes? Are you going to start a fire later or something? Like, like, like what are we doing with what we have? The Apostle Paul says it's, it's to be used. It's to be distributed. So here's a question. Who am I sharing God's word with? Who am I sharing God's word with? Right now, after this message, the marks of a godly ministry, every member is a minister. Am I suffering for the gospel? Am I stewarding God's word? Who are you going to share God's word with? And um, I love love this. Um, Some of you will remember Miss Margaret Cross, who's who's a founding member of Westside. Westside started in her and Ted's home over 50 years ago. Just a saint of a lady, and I'll never forget. I'd only been here for about a year or two, and um, she called me one Sunday afternoon after church. And uh, she said, hey, I just had a question. I missed one of the fill in the blanks. I'm still old school, love a fill in the blank, amen, right? And Miss Margaret loved filling in the blank. And she said, I missed one of the fill in the blanks. And so I told her what it was. And then she said, "Um, I had a question. You said this, and I know over here it says this. And I said, oh, that's such a great question. You know, and and this, that, and the other. And then she said, thank you for answering my question. Because my family's coming over for dinner this evening. And we always talk about, um, they go to a different church, what what the sermon was. And and I just, I got off the phone and I was amazed on a number of levels. Number one, she was well into her 80s and was studying her Bible. Like, um, I know that you said this, but over here it said this. But then also that she was sharing God's word with her kids and her grandkids. So the question is, who, who are you sharing God's word with? And then um, the third Mark that I see is this. Um, we've, seen that, uh, we've seen that we're suffering for the gospel, that we're stewarding God's word. And then Mark 3 of a godly ministry is um, struggling for God's people. Look at the amount of times he says the word struggle, right? Verse 29, for this I toil, struggling with all his power. What are you struggling for, Paul? Well, um. I'm struggling to present everyone mature in Christ. And then chapter 2, verse 1. For I want you to know how great a, a struggle that I have for you. And for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. I love that phrase, the struggle. I, I want to do a sermon series called uh, The Struggle is Real, right? Because, man, the struggle, anybody else feeling the struggle nowadays, right? And especially when it comes to, to following Jesus and then to ratchet it up a level, to serve Jesus and to serve the church and, and to be a part. The struggle is real. And I love that the Apostle Paul honest about it. This is hard. This is hard. And maybe this is a word for some of you. Westside has so many faithful volunteers from nursery to Kidside to our worship team to our board members to, to so many, to our greeters, to our security. There are so many people that, that, that you don't even know who are serving. And some of you are in a season, listen, it's winter. We're in like the middle of winter. It seems long. Um, you're appreciated and you're loved. And don't give up. And some of you think, man, it's hard right now. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, and by the way, you're in good company because the Apostle Paul says that it's hard. It is hard. But what I love about it is this. Paul is saying that Christians fight for each other, not with each other. I mean, can I get an amen in here today, right? Christians fight for each other, not with each other. And I think... Um, I've, I've sort of deleted, I've deleted social media off my phone and I only access it through a, a computer or desktop or something like that just because the amount of vitriol and venom that was happening online from what I was seeing from believers was just heartbreaking. And it was affecting my, my mental and emotional health, quite honestly. But I think I would see a lot less Christians fighting with each other if I saw a lot more Christians fighting for each other fighting um, for marriages rather than fighting in marriages. And and that's a sign of maturity, actually. And, And that's what the Apostle Paul says. It's hard. It's hard to work alongside and to fight for people because what we're fighting for is maturity in Christ. We're fighting for being mature in Christ. Remember what we said is the goal of this series is for Christians to mature in Jesus and for non-Christians to meet Jesus. That's why we're studying the book of Colossians. And we said that um, there are many Christians who who need to be on that road to maturity. And we said that a 50-year-old man in the kiddie pool with floaties is a little weird, okay? And many of us say that we've been walking with Jesus, but yet we're not serving, we're not stewarding, we're not doing any of those things. So, so what are marks of maturity? What does it look like to mature in Jesus? Well, I'm glad you asked, and there are three things, and I'll run through them very quickly, but the Apostle Paul says it starting in verse 2. I'm struggling. What are you struggling for, Paul, verse 2? That their hearts may be encouraged. That their hearts may be encouraged. Um, Here are some questions about marks of maturity. The first one is this. Do I seek to encourage others or do I seek encouragement from others? Do I seek to encourage others or am I constantly going around just doing things for an attaboy? And that if somebody doesn't encourage me, well, then guess what? I'm not serving you because I didn't get anything. Um, Actually, who you're serving in that is you. That's who you're serving. But Paul says, actually, a mark of maturity is is that I'm going around seeking to encourage other people. The word encourage literally means to put courage into someone. And I don't know about you, but I don't see see people going, you know what? I encourage people so much, I really just need to pull back on that. (laughs) Like I don't think we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to go, hey, Bill, listen, you encourage people way too much, bro. Like all that time that you spend encouraging? No, especially in, in today's climate. A mark of maturity is, is somebody who encourages people. And so the question is, do, do I seek to encourage people or am I primarily seeking encouragement from people? That's a sign of immaturity. That's a sign that you're serving yourself. The second question is this. Do I pursue relationships with others or do I wait to be pursued? Because look at what he says. Um, Verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Being knit together. That there's a process in these relationships to grow together. But that happens when I pursue relationships. And how many of us sit back and critique and say, well, um, you know, nobody said anything to me. Nobody reached out to me. And my loving question to you is, who have you reached out to? Who have you pursued to encourage? Because you see, if you're seeking to encourage people, a byproduct is, is that you're also pursuing people and that those relationships will foster with one another. And then the third question that I see is this. Do I bring clarity to situations or do I just critique the solutions? The Apostle Paul says... Um, Being knit together in love to reach the riches of a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Here's what he's saying. That mature people bring clarity to what God is doing in other people's lives. Primarily the mysteries revealed in Christ. And man, we need a lot more people that are seeking to encourage, seeking to pursue, and seeking to bring clarity to things. It is so easy in today's culture to be someone who critiques. It's effortless. It's so easy to critique what somebody else is doing rather than contribute. And then for some of us, um, it is our natural inclination to even not just critique something else, but to critique what the solutions are even being proposed. And my question to you is... um, When are you going to start to be someone who pursues clarity in your relationships rather than just critiquing them? These are marks of maturity that I see. So again, the Apostle Paul is saying, um, listen, here are the marks of a godly ministry, and every member is a minister. And, and, And just look at these marks of a ministry, and the guiding question today is, do you see these marks in your life? a suffering for the gospel, a stewarding of God's word, and struggling for other people. Listen, I believe that our perspective changes in this. And when you find Jesus precious enough, you'll risk relationships because you actually really love those people and you don't want to see that sin or that thing hurt them. And you will suffer for that. But the Holy Spirit's called the great comforter. And maybe we don't experience the comfort of the Holy Spirit because we're already too comfortable in our life. But when we risk these things, he's promised to be there. The stewarding of God's word. What are you going to do with today's message? What are you going to do with those relationships? And then the third thing, struggling for other people. Rather than having an inward view, may it be outward. And listen, I believe that joy is on the other side of these things. And the Apostle Paul says, this is what a godly ministry looks like. May God help us as we pursue these things. West side, let's pray together. And right where you are, lift up your voices and let us pray how Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.